The Past Podcast is sponsored by SousVTools.com, the home of all your sous vide and modernist cooking equipment for both professional chef as well as all you budding home cooks. Visit SousVTools.com and enter The Pass. And I'm just going to clarify that's all one word and it's all in capitals. So enter The Pass at checkout and you'll receive an exclusive discount for all The Pass Podcast listeners. That's nice, isn't it? Hello, it's Paul Newbegin, and welcome to the latest episode of the Past Podcast. This episode features Chantelle Nicholson. I met her at Treadwells in Covent Garden, and we talk about her career moving from New Zealand over to the UK and starting in places like the Savoy, working with Gordon Ramsay, Marcus Waring. Uh, and all the different other sort of chefs that would have been around there at that time. Um, And it's a really interesting chat to sort of know how she kind of went from that high-pressure, macho environment um, to sort of doing what she is doing now, which I'm going to leave as a little bit of a surprise, but you'll know that her book, Planted, is out now, uh, and it's already been doing really well, and we're going to talk about that as well. So enjoy the episode. What what will, like, the sort of bank holiday look like for you here in... Treadwells, you'll have quite a few in. Um, bank holidays are never particularly busy, but I think people come. Um, we do do generally generally get families, um, which obviously the kids. And I think it's time for extended families to get together. So mm. that's probably what we'll see. Yeah, and obviously being involved in lots of different restaurants. I guess each different restaurant must have quite a different clientele that come in. Yeah, they do, and it obviously is quite area-dependent as well, so obviously at the Gilbert's got people we've got people travelling through or people that are meeting at the station to see each other, um, and then at Marcus it's people that have kind of made a special trip generally, and then here it's a bit of a mix of everything, really. What I was reading about you, it seemed that you kind of had this idea of food from a very, very early age. Where do you think that came from? Um, I think it's definitely family and place, and obviously growing up in New Zealand... There was a lot of, um, it's such a green country and there's so much space and there's so much, I guess, space for growing things as well. And my dad was a horticulture teacher, so we always had things growing in the garden and would, you know, for dinner, kind of pop out, sniff off some salad leaves. Um, And then also my auntie and uncle had a stone fruit orchard in central Otago in New Zealand, so we spent lots and lots of summers there. um, And so that was very much about food as well. And... Food was always something that we brought us together as a family, and all of my, all of my family cooked. We all cooked. You know, takeaways was something. They were a treat that we had, kind of, you know, every once in a while when something was going on that we couldn't cook or didn't have time to cook for. Um, so I think it's always been something that has been around, and it's always been something that I've absolutely loved. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think for me, it's a sense of, you know, it evokes a lot of memories as well. I guess for me, because obviously I can relate to that being really interested in food from a very early age, but then being a chef kind of feels quite far removed from loving food sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And I think that, you know, in some roles as a chef, it can be quite removed. And I think sometimes the higher up you go, the ladder, the less, the further removed you can get from food. Um, but I think for me, obviously there was, you know, you, you, there's a, for me there's kind of two powers because there's one that you you know you absolutely love food and you enjoy food 
and then there's the path that you just you know you love cooking and creating with it and I think that's you know the, the step further on from that is actually becoming mm. a chef and I think for me it was this kind of you know thing that I just couldn't get rid of and I couldn't let go and I had to kind of got to a point and I was like I've got to do something about this so that, that was when I made the made the switch in this sort of growing world where food you know they've kind of become quite industries and you get like these job titles operation directors executive chef chef patron you know when I come in I never know what to expect the chef like if you're going to be in like a business suit because you're up in the office but like nine times out of ten you're always in whites is that like your business attire you're ready for business in chef whites yeah and I think it's it's a funny thing because you there is a sense of I, there's, a, there's a sense I really love about wearing whites and that's you know one of them's a practical reason <laughs> that you don't actually have to think about what you're going to wear um, but the other is I think it gives a sense of um, respect mm. to, to what we do and I, lo- I really like the fact that it puts everyone on even footing as well so no matter who you are in the kitchen you're wearing the same thing as, mm. the, as the person next to you and I think that also um, it creates that, that team atmosphere mm. and that sense that you're all in this together which I think is a really special thing about working in the kitchen and, and this industry and likewise then you're not removed sort of thing you're not this removed being that floats in and out you are a chef yeah I think and that's at the end of the day it is you know no matter what the title or what the as you say you kind of get all these different things that are going on but actually at the end of the day it's you know being a chef for me is about cooking and creating food with a team of people and I think that's you know as a chef you can't you know, unless you're cooking for kind of a couple of people, it's not something you can ever do on your own. And I think that's also the beauty of it is it, it is that sense of you know you're all bringing bringing a team together to create something special for people. So I'm sat in downstairs in Treadwells um, on the outskirts of Leicester Square and Covent Garden, probably where the boundaries meet. Is it? Do you, do you ever yeah. decide which one you're in? I say Seven Dials. <laughs> okay, Seven Dials. That's Sounds good. Sounds a bit more romantic. Yes, it does. And uh, my guest today is Chantal Nicholson. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to meet you today. Um, I kind of first became aware of you. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Marcus Waring, and then sort of started following his groups and head chefs, Mark and Shauna, and then obviously yourself. And it must be one of those ones that as soon as people say that name, it sparks a little bit of fear. Does it still spark fear for you? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Not after 14 years. Um, I think it's, and that's, you know, it's interesting that you, you know, as we go along and as we, we change, and I think if I look back to when I first came to London and started working at the Savoy, um, which was Marcus's restaurant, but obviously Josh was the, the kind of my contact there and the person I knew that had given me the job. Um, so I didn't really know actually who Marcus Waring was. <laughs> and, don't tell him that. Um, you might hear this, you know that, don't you? I know, but that's okay. And um, I remember being in the kitchen, I was on pastry and it was at the front of the restaurant. Sorry, the front of the kitchen just because you came in from the restaurant. And you know, this this person walked in and I said to the, the girl that I worked with, I was like, oh, who's that? She said, oh, that's Marcus Waring. I said, oh, okay, so so who's he again? And she, <laughs> and she kind of explained explained it to me. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and that was when I kind of first actually saw him, yeah. really. And, yeah, at that stage it did kind of, yeah, there, there were kind of a few choice words that happened in, in the kitchen at that time. Um, but I think that that's the, for me, it's always nice to reflect on, on how far the industry's come and I think also just seeing even how far we've come as a group and obviously when I first started working with Marcus and it was 
you know, people saw him as that really kind of scary um, chef that was just a bit angry. Um, whereas I kind of, I guess, yeah, there were glimpses of that, of course, but I think what I saw was somebody that was had an incredible attention to detail. And, you know, I remember being in the rest in the kitchen at Petrouse and he was uh, at the door that went out into the restaurant and it had this, this, it had the, this kind of this small pane of glass that you couldn't you could kind of see through but not hugely and I remember him saying to um, a waiter or that you know we had a tray of food that was about to go out on the pass and it was about to go out into the restaurant and he said um, well they've got no cutlery on the, they've not got their cutlery on the table and I was just like how on earth you know you're a chef you're supposed to be like doing the food and that for me that was probably the first time I kind of thought okay this whole chefing thing is it's about a bigger picture than just about what you're kind of putting on a plate so I think for me it's that sense of, you know, and we've grown as, as a group and, you know, it started off with just one restaurant and then we went to two, now we're at three. And I think the everybody's roles changes as time goes on and you've got to make space for other people to be able to, to get to the top. So obviously with Mark and Sean over at the Barclay, that's what, um, you know, they've, they've worked for us for many, many years and it was at the point that they've got to that. So it was him kind of not stepping aside but allowing them the path mm. to be able to progress so mm. I think from that perspective um, you know that kind of big scary person that people think they see <laughs> on TV you know is, is a very it's a very different person underneath it all. I wonder if maybe you'd almost benefited as well coming from like a very far removed country New Zealand is like a, a world away especially at that time like news doesn't travel fast reputations doesn't necessarily span a globe so you might probably not have been as daunted as say no, you know. completely. I mean, I was pretty naive when I think about it now. And, you know, kind of flying halfway around the world, yeah, great, I'll go and work with this, you know, this chef that I'd met for, for all of two days in New Zealand, um, who was Josh. And I just remember kind of turning up to the, my first day at the Savoy Grill, and I was I was really nervous because I was like, this is a big, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Um, and I think I had... I picked tails at the time because my hair was really short and I had red trainers on and I just kind of thought that was okay. And so it's quite interesting. I think you're right that actually if I'd kind of known what I was getting myself in for, I probably would have, you know, it would have been a lot more scary than it was. So obviously you had been involved in food in New Zealand, but not to such a level, right? So was, was it an absolute shock going straight into somewhere like the Savoy or did you feel like you could kind of swim straight away? I think my naivety kind of helped, actually. <laughs> this could be a running theme. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think it actually really helped me because I um, I'd worked, I had worked at a kitchen in a boutique hotel but obviously there was um, there was kind of five of us in the kitchen on yeah. a busy service um, as opposed to kind of, you know, 14 of us, 15 of us in the kitchen on a busy service at the Savoy. So I think for me... And I was at, a, at at an age where I kind of, I think I was about 23 at the time, so I wasn't kind of, and it was exciting and it was new, so I think the whole newness of it mm. kind of probably slightly helped in that sense. And I think because I knew um, Josh, and obviously we, he was from the same city I was from in New Zealand, so there was that connection that there helped. that I felt a sense of security, I think, which was a really, really big help. And... I started out on pastry, which I think was actually a really positive thing to do because it was actually more in the prep part of it. So I wasn't exposed to the kind of, I guess, the, the kind of scariness of service straight away. Mm. It was kind of a gradual progression, which I think was a really, really good thing to do. And I'm really glad I did that now. And 
But I think you're right in terms of actually coming halfway around the world. I wasn't aware of kind of... I knew about Michelin stars, but I didn't really know that much about them. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't... Yeah, I think the, the kind of the unknown actually worked in my favour. But then you say about naivety, but then it also does strike me that, that, say, after a couple of months and you're surrounded by this atmosphere, I imagine it was very charged, very, um, you know, full on. Mm. There has to be a moment where you sit yourself and think, well, hang on, I've studied in law, I've travelled half the world to be here, is this actually for me? And there must have been a moment where you sort of had to decide that. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's interesting because I, I, reflecting back on it, and I went from obviously doing kind of seven and a half hour days in an office, um, you know, going to the gym every morning, socialising, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> to actually, yeah, <laughs> to coming over here and working kind of, you know, very, very long days in the kitchen and, you know, spending my, my couple of days off. One of them I just, I just sleep to kind of recover. Um, but there was never a point where I thought I've done the wrong thing and it was just, for me, those you know those long days just absolutely flew by, and I kind of, you know, I, I remember watching the clock when I was sitting in an office, thinking, "God, is it? You know, can I go home yet?" Um, whereas being in the kitchen, I was like, "Oh my God, it's time to go home!" But I still want to do this, and I still want to do this, and you know, the service just just flew by. So it was never, I think there was never a, a point where I thought, "Right, do I need to, I need to make a decision here?" Because mm. I just. I just absolutely loved it and I just I was like you know I felt like a sponge just I was learning so much every single day and so being exposed to so many different ingredients and techniques and just personalities and the way kitchens worked that it was just really um yeah I mean it was it was it was tough don't get me wrong it it was challenging but it was a really rewarding challenge so what I ask all my guests to do is to come up with five favorite dishes and like I said to you before it can be anything you choose um do you have a first dish that I'm going to put onto your menu? Um, this is a really tricky one. But I think for me, um, probably one of the things that strikes me as ha- has some memories um, about associated with it. Um, I was extremely lucky to spend a day at Blue Hill Farm last year. And... I um, just went, a day, went to spend a day in the kitchen and actually was very generously then given, sat in the restaurant and given a full kind of, nice. the full menu, which was just, I was absolutely blown away by. And I had read Dan Barber's book, The Third Plate, before going, so I was like like supercharged when I saw the, <laughs> you know, the eight row flint corn being made into the blender and I, you know, got to try the mochum carrots and I went foraging there in the morning. And it was just kind of a really remarkable um, kind of experience. So I think to, you know, when they wheeled out, they have this amazing. So the polenta is, is they, you know, it goes in the morning and it cooks for about eight hours slowly on a stove in Bay Marie. And so even to see it, I was just kind of blown away. And then to actually eat it, I think that that was an amazing experience. So it is literally this amazing corn that um, used to be was famed for polenta back in the day in Italy, and then went out of um, kind of use really. And Dan Bubba was given it by someone initially and saying this is, you know, if you can given the seed of it actually and if you can if you can grow this then it will make it makes the best polenta. And so he actually managed to be able to grow it and now harvest it and uses it to make this um, this amazing polenta and they serve it in half a wheel of, of cheese. So they kind of they, they wheel it to the table in this trolley and you just see this kind of half wheel of cheese um, on its end really and then they just they scoop it out and ladle it onto your <laughs> plate at the table and it is just one of the most delicious things you've ever eaten for me it was 
you know, it's kind of, I guess, its deliciousness was personified because I, I knew what had gone into yeah. getting it where it got to, um, which was the really interesting thing. So that would probably be my first, my first one on the menu. Um, my second one, I'm pro- I'm a massive fan. I just absolutely adore bread and butter, <laughs> and there's nothing for me that's better than a really, really great loaf of bread and some great butter. So, again, memories associated. I was at Ludlow Food Festival last year and was with the wonderful um, Jill and John from Sitch Farm to you who make the beautiful plates um, with a little anemone on them, and they're just amazingly wonderful people. And... Um, I was over actually, I was doing a demo at the fire stage with DJ Barbecue and um, kind of Lord Logs, that lot, and which was really cool. And, and Jill came over to see me and brought um, somebody over to, to introduce me. Um, and it was a woman that makes, as part of the Apple Beach, Applebee's cheese, so she makes the Cheshire cheese. And she had this block of this most amazing <laughs> butter with her that was this, like the yellowest butter you've ever seen and had this most gorgeous marbling of all the salt through it. And we all kind of <laughs> we all kind of had a little taste and I was like that is insane I said is there any way I can you know do you actually yeah. supply it and so we eventually got onto it through Neil's Yard Dairy so now I actually have it on the menu at the restaurant oh, which so is just well. amazing so again it's that lovely sense of and it's a it's a family um, business I think it's three generations of cheesemakers and it's just the story's incredible and the butter is just insanely delicious um, <laughs> give, a, so, give a chef like who loves food and then you go here's bread and butter I don't, like, oh, it's no, the simplest things it's right? the simplest things and then also I got um, some bread I got a bread sample from Coombshead Farm from Ben Glazer last year and it was there it was spelt sourdough and it's honestly <laughs> without a doubt the best bread I've I've probably ever tasted and so for me that would be it would be that bread um, with that butter would be would be nice. definitely have to be on my menu. So before we carry on with your menu I wanted to ask you about Treadwells because it was kind of your passion project right it was something that you almost even though it's under the Marcus Wearing group it was your kind of idea and your thought so was that just something that you'd had in your in your head for a while, or was it something that you sort of learned as you went along and thought, ah, this would be nice in the restaurant, that would be nice? I think for me it was when we first opened it, I wasn't actually in the kitchen, um, and we didn't. it wasn't the right fit and it wasn't the right kind of thing, and, and perhaps because it was something we were trying to do, something that wasn't necessarily, I guess, us or, or me, and it was more we wanted to do something that was a bit more casual. Um, and then when I when I got into the kitchen I thought actually you know what I'm going to make this about just just great food and I think you know the actual the decor for me I, I really wanted somewhere that was um, I guess had a had a relaxed and informal mm. atmosphere mm. but so you felt you could come in and you could feel really relaxed but there was still a sense of um, I guess plushness about mm-hmm. it for yeah, want of a better word beautiful. yeah I wanted it to be a beautiful space but that actually you didn't feel you know you didn't feel like you had to dress up you didn't feel like you had to kind of sit up straight at the table <laughs> and you know you, the, the my front of house team could actually have the personalities and actually take the time with the tables to actually chat and, and really put that across so I guess that was for me that was in terms of the actual feel of it and the energy it was something that I wanted to be um, a relaxed and, you know, in a way, a place for everybody, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I guess with the food, that's where the whole plant-based thing came from because for me it was a sense of all, you know, you go out with friends and it shouldn't be... Nobody should feel like it's an effort mm-hmm. to 
get what they want mm-hmm. or what they need in some senses. So I think people that have, you know, dietary requirements, whether it's, you know, um, lactose intolerant, gluten intolerant, um, plant-based, vegetarian, whatever the label is, that actually if there's a group of friends, they should all be able to have something that is delicious and is not a huge effort to find out if they can have it or not. So for me it was even just from a practical I'm, I'm quite a kind of practical person so <laughs> it's like right actually let's put as much information on the menus as we can um, so all the origins are listed on there so you don't if you can't have dairy you don't have to ask your waiter if you can have that dish you can see on the menu if, you, if it's got it in it or not. Um, you can ask obviously if it can be done without but I think that's where for me that was, that was part of the ethos as well that actually I need to be able to cater those people that you know, we've had a, a kind of a beef salad on the menu, so it's and it's more of a, you know, it's something that if people are wanting something slightly more nutritious, healthy, whatever you want the buzzword to be, um, that that's on there as well, so mm. that you don't have to come and feel like you're being forced to do anything. Or yeah, for me, it's, it's got to be as open as possible. And I think sometimes, you know, there's, there's potential that that could conflict with certain diners or certain people that inspect or whatever you want to call it but I think for me it's got to be about the, the customer at the end of the day and, and the team the team's got to feel you know they've got to feel proud of the food they're putting on the table and actually feel that they they know enough about it to be able to talk about it and it's nothing too overcomplicated for them and they can actually embrace it as well I want to talk about the plant-based thing because funny enough I was talking to Kirk Powerf about that but I want one thing I want which I picked up on what you said is about this sort of uh, making sure that everybody can come and, and eat and, mm. and that feels like something that's really changed in the industry from when I first yeah. got into it where there would be certain restaurants and it's like we don't accept vegetarians yeah. and we don't we don't cater for these things yeah. do you think that's just come because of the amount of awareness that we've got or do you think that's just the changing in time or why do you think that is now I think it's probably a bit of both because I think there's um, <clears throat> people are a lot more I think consumers, or just, you know, if we have to categorise people, consumers, people that eat out, or people in general, are so much more aware of food than they ever have been. And I think that's a really positive thing. Um, well, sorry, let me let me preface that with, a, a, you know, can this be. is London, yeah, it can be, and obviously I'm, London can be a little bit of a bubble, so I know that there, I can't speak about the rest of it, but I think, you know, the people that do dine out in London, a lot of them are, are aware and... I think just through social media, through actual just media in general, being a lot more um, into food, I think it has created a, a much greater communication of food. There's a lot more information readily available, um, sometimes to its detriment, I think. But um, I think people are, you know, I think people are more aware of also what they're putting in their bodies, mm. and we have to be because, you know, I do quite a bit of work with the not quite a bit but work with nutrition and in terms of the bigger picture so especially with children so mm. um looking at how we can encourage children to actually cook mm. and to actually understand what seasonality is and what you know what effect certain things have on their body such as sugar such as protein such yeah. as fresh you know fresh vegetables so i think that people are a lot more yeah aware of what's going into their bodies and you know this notion of flexitarianism whatever you want to call it i think just for me I don't necessarily 
you know, I'm not a preacher, I don't advocate anything necessarily, but for me it's about just being conscious mm. and it's about being conscious of what you're putting into your body, but also of what we're doing to our planet and I think that's a big part of it and you look at you know, things like plastic, which, you know, and packaging, for, which for us as chefs, you think we should, just, we should be able to just get everything mm. as it, in its state and in a, in a kind of reusable, deliverable crate, etc., but that's not the case. So I think for me it's just a level of consciousness about you know what you're putting in your body and the effect it's it's having on it on on the environment and our planet as a whole i also wonder if especially now even in you know cities especially in london but in other cities i mean leeds is a prime example where if you're not catering for vegetarians there'll be somewhere two minutes down the road yeah. that is and literally just from business sense yeah. it'd be stupid now to turn people away I think so, and I think that there's even, um, you know, even if people agree with it, don't agree with it, it's not, I think, you know, I probably take a slightly different view than some chefs almost, but I guess because I look at it from a business operation too, but also from a holistic operation that actually, you know, my, the way I like to cook is inclusive, Mm. and so if I want to, for me it's important that all those things are on the menu, Um, but that's not the same for everybody and I think there's a place there's a place for everything in, in every type of cuisine, business you know, kind of um, way people like to cook I think that's actually what makes it quite exciting and interesting is that actually you know, you could go to restaurants that just serve meat and you know that's what you're going to get yeah. um, or you go to restaurants that just serve vegetables or you go to restaurants that serve amazing Vietnamese you know, that, that's the wonderfonness about food is that there is I mean, there's, that's what I love about it too is that you know, I still keep learning, you know, and I don't think what well, you can ever stop learning with food because there's just, you know, unless you've visited every corner of the globe and seen every little tiny family that cooks a certain way or cuisine, I think that's the, for me, that's a really exciting bit about it and the bit that makes, keeps me interested. Let's return to your menu then. I want you to put a third dish onto your menu. Oh gosh, uh, that's a good question. I think probably these are all memories, but I think that's probably the part of no, what good. about food. So I remember um, probably one of the most. I was quite. I was probably about twenty six or twenty seven, and I went to um, San Sebastian with my mum, and they had booked to go to. Um, Arzac into Mugaritz and remember kind of, you know, the kind of anticipation of it all and and back, this was quite before all the kind of I guess the, um, what do you call it, the kind of El Bulli, the um the kind of sciencey yeah. bit that came into to food I guess and I remember having um, at Arzac for pudding actually and it was these, they were called chocolate grapes and it was like um, they were like they looked like grapes in, in the bowl, and it was um, obviously which I didn't have a clue what that was at this <laughs> point in time. Scarification, and they had this kind of chocolate, um, like loose chocolate ganache inside them, and with this, and it was just like for me, it was just like I was just so I was probably more taken with how they'd done it than actually what I was eating. But it, 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 the first one I remember putting it, putting it in my mouth and just being like, "Whoa, this is." Incredible, because obviously, you know, having <laughs> got from old New Zealand as well, we hadn't really got to that point yet, and we didn't, you know, it wasn't something we didn't use any of those techniques um, at the Savoy and either at Petrus when I was there. <laughs> and so for me, it was just like this amazing kind of 
yeah, revelation, I guess, and something I then wanted to kind of know a little bit more about. And it wasn't mainstream then, so it was just really one of those things that just really makes you kind of think and like, how on earth did that did that get there? And um, and then it was a obviously I met um, Eleanor and went around, you know, had had a tour of the kitchen. So the whole experience was amazing. But that for me, that's kind of the one thing that I remember just being so kind of. Um, yeah, just really amazed and interested by it. Yeah. I mean, again, getting into food, I've always been a massive meat eater. Um, it's always been just a real passion of mine to really nice, simply cook meat. But I have to say, as I'm maturing and learning more, I'm becoming really, really interested in vegetarian-only dishes. And in fact, two of my favourite restaurants in Leeds are like vegetarian-only so it's like no meat option at all. Yeah. And I guess it's that's a part of your the thing around plant-based cooking, which is what Kirk was saying to me and obviously what I'd like to talk to you about now, mm. is that it should almost be that, is that it's designed to almost challenge meat eaters to say, hang on a minute, this is really good. So is that where your sort of philosophy comes from as well? I think that actually, I mean, I've always grown, you know, growing up and stuff, it was always about... Um, meat wasn't a huge huge part of it it was you know we could have a meal that didn't have meat in it and it wasn't an issue but I also love cooking meat and fish um but I think for me yeah I do find it an interesting challenge and I think that's that was kind of the the reasoning for writing the book is actually to I guess show that there is you know the food can be as delicious and you don't have to feel like you're missing out on anything um and I think also it's it is an interesting kind of thought process though because I think that as a chef I because and obviously I had the training in, in slightly classical kitchens um, and I guess so my approach to a vegetable probably is similar to meat so I think maybe that's where sometimes things get lost in translation that actually if you have a really delicious caramelised vegetable mm. as you would a steak mm. you can you know you get that level of satisfaction from it and I think that's what um I think some, I think plant-based food, or you know, I, I prefer to be plant-based because I think it's not for me. It's about the food. It's not about the lifestyle. And it's not about the choices that you've made to, to eat that food. It's about the food itself. Um, I think that it's, it's had a bit of a bad rap, and I think that that's probably the. Um, is that right? <laughs> it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right, it's fine. Um, don't don't stop people. Sorry. Um, was it? Yeah, I think it's had a bad rep because I think traditionally also, if you don't, it's like any food, you know, there's, there's some food that you don't need to put much effort into because the produce just speaks for itself. And we've all had an amazing, probably, you know, a tomato with all it needs is olive oil and salt and pepper. And that's that kind of epitomises, you know, that great produce. But then if you take something like um, a celeriac um, or a Jerusalem artichoke, actually, when you cook that to the level of caramelisation and you you get that I guess the Maya reaction is, is what it is in a vegetable as well if, if that's, I'm not sure if that's the science technical term but that's what happens is it undergoes a very different um, texture, taste flavour, level of satisfaction so I think that's where I think traditionally people have played, maybe slightly missed the the um, the correlation between what you do with a piece of meat and what you do with a, a vegetable and actually not treated them 
the same whereas I think if you do you can get such amazing results that actually you don't feel like you're missing out on anything yeah I agree Mm. I think um what Kirk was saying as well is that there's a lot of sort of these like vegan things where it's like vegan burger, vegan this, vegan that, and it's almost like trying to make the vegetable fit to meat. Mm. And actually, more the point should be let the vegetable be the vegetable and let the ingredient be the ingredient. You're not trying to sort of make it fit a box. You're actually trying to make the box fit it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I think there's there's definitely a place for that, you know. But I think I do think you know I used to be of the same kind of opinion that actually why should you take make try and make something. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> why should you try and make something taste like something else or why yeah. should you try and create a vegetable burger or why should you try and create a meat substitute but actually interestingly I have had discussions with various people from various kind of industries and I think also where it potentially does fit and I think there is a place for it is you know people have made a conscious decision to um, cross that boundary to actually go to a plant-based um, diet, so it is things like you know you see the the kind of the fish and chips that are made with the the, the tofu or the seitan or the jackfruit, and I think that's that's interesting because it's actually you are you know we do that with food we create dishes called fish and chips which are maybe a fish mousse and a, so I think that there is a place for it and I think also when it comes to um, families and children I think there's a big place for it because I think it's if their friends are eating you know sausages and mash. And they're having, you know, they feel a bit left out. Actually, they can have a, you know, a corn sausage and mash and actually not feel mm-hmm. they understand what that is. Mm-hmm. So I do think there is still a place for all those substitutes. And I think if it helps people from a health perspective, you know, if you look at, I'm not necessarily about this, but if you look at calorific value of, you know, a, a pork sausage versus a corn sausage, for instance, it's huge. Yeah. So if you are, you know, if that's something you're focusing on, then actually I think it is, and you still feel like you're getting that level of um, satisfaction, then I think there is there is still a place for it. So I think in kind of the consumer market, there's definitely a place for it, but I think as chefs, it's not necessarily something we can... We don't necessarily have to focus because we have the skills and we have the techniques to know more than just that. Mm. Let's add uh, a fourth... <coughs> let's add a fourth dish to your, yes. to your menu. Um... So I can see you scrutinising over this, so that's good. It's good that you're putting yeah. some thought into this. Well, there, there's so many, and I think, you know, I was just, I've just returned from being um, in New Zealand. I was there for about 10 days and doing an event in the Marlborough Sounds um, with one of my favourite vineyards, Saracen. And I, when I was there, because um, obviously there's quite nostalgic things, you know, you go back to where you're from and you have the things that you... And um, for me, it was um, my very good friends um, they just they picked me up and they were taking me to the airport but I had about an hour um, stop stop I guess you know at their at their place and she'd um, she'd bought some white bait and in New Zealand white bait's a very different thing than it is here so it's these fish that are probably like half the size of your baby finger wow and they're um, see-through and they are you can only get them in fresh water and there's a, a particular season so obviously it was it was quite so she'd got these these white bait and we have white bait fritters so you just basically mix them with a little bit of egg um, and some seasoning and fry them off and then just a big squeeze of lemon juice on top and oh, no. she made those so they were fresh 
and they were just <laughs> insanely delicious. And, and they had out. this, yeah, I know, they had this beautiful <laughs> bottle of Riesling with them as well. And oh. it was just like, for me, it was kind of like I'm home, I'm having, yeah. you know, with great friends and having this delicious food. Um, and it was it was simple, you know. It, it's kind of to, it's it's white bait. It's a it's a it's a beaten egg and it's salt and pepper and some lemon juice. So it's it is as simple as you can get, but it's just absolutely delicious. Now, I'm I'm not encouraging you to leave. Please don't leave the country. But do, does it ever cross your mind to think? Do you know what? Now with all the you know knowledge that I've got and all the ingredients and stuff that there are out in New Zealand. Perhaps I'll just pop back and <laughs> open up a restaurant there. It's a very long way, as I just had a week struggling with jet lag uh, a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, when I was there, it was about, you know, the produce is just insane yeah. and what you can get is, is totally delicious. But I think for me, London is home. Um, my family are over here as well now. And I think I've, I've you know, put quite a bit of effort into the last 14 yeah. years and okay. established... Um, you know, a great business, um, a great team of people, a great set of friends. I think, for me, we're on a we're in a really exciting time in the industry, especially in this country. I think I've never seen the level of support and excitement and collaboration and and kind of, you know, everywhere you turn, if you need help or support or you want to support with something, it's there to do. And I think. You know, we need to do something about it. We're in a, we've got a massive skills shortage in our industry. Mm. We've got all sorts of things happening. You know, I was at a um, symposium at the University of West London on Monday talking about nutrition and talking about protein diversity and the protein challenge for moving ahead. And that's, you know, the, the figures are horrid about nutrition as well. So I think for me, you know, I'm at a point now where I can hopefully get into, you know, I work with a... Um, I'm an ambassador for, for a new charity called Cook School, which is encouraging children to cook at you know, a, a young age so that they can start to get into that. And I'm also working with some other charities to, to look at how to talk about our industry and get people encouraged to actually be a chef and to know that it's not the horrible kind of ridiculous hours and aggressive um, environments that it was before. So I think, for me, I'm so excited about where the next few years are going to go for our industry we're in a bit of a, a bit of a rough time right now I think <clears throat> both economically financially um, and with the looming um, brexit in terms of what that means yeah <laughs> what that means for us in terms of staffing our sites or just even you know having people around so I think we're in a really tricky time but on the flip side of that I think we'll actually instead of just sitting back and saying crap what's going to happen or moaning about the fact that we don't have enough chefs in our industry um, it's time to do something about it mm. so I think for me I'm really excited about it and it's it's a little bit of a scary time and you know I think we're all a bit uncertain about how this year is going to work and financially, economically we see the amount of restaurants that are closing mm. um, but on the flip side I think it's brought about a really amazing sense of unity and I think it's I think there is a new generation of, of chefs and of people in this industry that actually really do care and give a shit and actually want to mm. keep the industry as a whole and it's not just about yourself as an individual. I think that's the shift that we've seen. Is that it used to be about the chef as that kind of the god and the, the egotistical kind of and could behave how they wanted and, you know, they were holier than thou. And I think that's completely... It's definitely starting to shift and I think now we're seeing people that are just um, collaborative and, you know, I there's so many people I could... 
almost even you know just drop them a message i think that's, that's probably also the beauty of social media just drop them a message and say hey can i talk to you about this or you view this yeah, i see you're using this supplier or this ingredient can you just tell me a little bit more about it and there's not one person that would shut the door in yeah. your face and i think it's it's really it's really kind of it's quite humbling to see and quite mm. really interesting and i think that for me this is where i want to be right now mm. absolutely i suppose i i feel a bit like that because i feel like i've been embraced by the chefing community and actually the largest proportion of my audience are chefs mm. and i get a lot of comments like oh we really enjoy listening to other people like while we're doing prep like rather than music which can be a bit of a oh, yeah. distractant or sort of subjective some people like it some people don't actually it's interesting to listen to chefs talk while we're prepping mm. um and it's it's been really heartwarming for me to say because this is the industry that i love it's not something that I'm involved in to a level that I'm actually in the kitchen, although it's something I'm considering, by the way. Mm. Um, but it's, I think it goes on to what you're saying in that now the industry is so open. And I think one of the reasons is because of the challenges that you yeah. said. Because ultimately now, diners are so aware, chefs are so rare, and restaurants are plenty. And there are that many people now that are probably of your level or your head chef's level that could open anywhere and it'd be an amazing restaurant but can you get the footfall can you get the chefs yeah. can you get the media support and it's it, it must be now going from that career where you probably felt like you know it's very secular it's very charged it's very this uh, it's very macho maybe mm. to now it must be like quite refreshing now it, it completely is and I think that's the you know even reflecting back being in London for 14 years and you know, back in the day, it was very. Yeah, it was. They were they were kind of aggressive kitchens, and and people could behave in ways that weren't right. Um, and I think that's completely. You know, we've been forced to change in a way. Mm. I think there. I think there's been an element of self change and self needing to do it. But also, I think this this next chapter is in a way we're being forced to do it. But I think that's actually going to have really positive mm. impact. And I think that that's really exciting and for me it is it is such a rewarding industry you know there's not many other industries out there and I know having been in others that you know you actually see the you see the results of your work twice a day mm. every day mm. like that's pretty cool yeah, because it's, it's not your labor. yeah you know you see the, the prep and you see that what's happened and you you know you, you you do service you go into service twice a day and, and actually create what you've spent all that time doing and that for me is it's quite rare in any industry because there's not many places and unless you're actually performing or you've got something that you're doing it's quite rare and obviously having come from an office environment where yeah. I, you know it was you know, it could take months to even see a tiny glimpse of <clears throat> see a tiny glimpse of something that you'd actually made a tiny impact on let alone done something that actually created something in front of someone that actually brought a load of um, joy to somebody yeah. else. So let's let's have your last dish of your menu. <coughs> Don't roll your eyes at me. Come on, you can you can <laughs> no, do I'm this. I'm just thinking. Come on. Right. Okay. I'm going to. This is a coveted spot. This. This one. is a coveted spot. Right. Yeah. It is. I think it's probably it, it's going to have to be something that I've created because I think it's talking about that. Yeah. We've not talked about that actually. So, I think it's probably looking at up yourself a little bit Chantel you're a good chef <laughs> <laughs> Back I think I think for me I think one of my amazing discoveries and on this is on like I guess the plant based cooking journey was um, was Aquafaba which is the chickpea water 
that you can turn into meringue or it's, it has the same properties as egg whites and I think I really wanted to create a pudding that was a proper pudding that you felt was you know oozy and gooey and delicious and warm and really really like um, satisfying so and I thought right what, what can I do that's really you know and I love the combination of, of peanuts and chocolate so I was like right I want to do something yeah exactly <laughs> who I want to create something that can that can make that work and I was like right I want to like gooey pudding and I was like well, how am I going to do that so anyway I created a recipe for a peanut butter pudding with a um, dark chocolate sorbet and it's on the menu now and it's it's interesting because it's it is plant based but people don't necessarily get that so I think and, and that's as you were saying before that point of actually someone's had it and afterwards and you say oh did you know that actually that's mm. and they were like oh my gosh that's amazing so I think that was it took a bit of kind of um, experimentation but that was <laughs> you know we got there in the end with it and I think it is it's also it's a warm peanut butter pudding it's got a peanut caramel inside it and then roasted peanuts on top and then a dark chocolate sorbet which just kind of oozes into it so I think for me you know I love a pudding that is is satisfying and I think that's one of the things I, I had a friend that was lactose intolerant so you know she'd go out for dinner and, and she'd be offered kind of fruit and sorbet for pudding and I was like that's so rubbish um <laughs> this is years ago but I thought right well, I need to kind of that's what oh, I want to crack is creating something that is really delicious and satisfying and you know as we were saying it doesn't actually you don't know if it has you don't feel like you're missing out yeah. on anything. You're going to hate me now. Don't hate me, okay? I'm going <laughs> to ask you to choose one of those five, which is your favourite dish to put on our specials board, if you imagine, of the day. What was your favourite of those five dishes? I think the one that probably has the most um, impact, or the most, I guess the most of me into it probably would have to be the peanut butter pudding. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. This has been uh, such a fantastic interview. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much to our sponsors, suvitools.com. Make sure to check out their website, as their range includes not just sous vide, but vacuum sealers, smoking guns, food dehydrators, barbecues, and much, much more. And don't forget, there's a special discount code, the pass, which is all one word, all in capitals. And that will allow you for special discount to all the past podcast listeners. Thank you very much for listening. And please check out our exclusive series, our exclusive episodes that are going to be going up soon at suvitools.com. And while you're there, have a little browse. <laughs>